So, Berto, one of the cornerstones of being a good therapist is being able to know your own bias. And in order to know your own bias, you have to do a lot of self-exploration, a lot of listening, a lot of reading, a lot of experimenting, a lot of therapy, a lot of investigation of your past and the cultural pocket that you live in. And social justice, it, it's a multifaceted endeavor. And one of them, and, and we're hearing a lot on the news about what people can do, what systems of power needs, need to be changed, what privilege needs to be acknowledged by those with the privilege. And another facet that I'm finding that isn't being talked about a lot is, frankly, just admitting what you do publicly that is unfair, biased, prejudiced, even bigoted, and mm-hmm. what you've done in the past. There's a number of different functions of this. We learn when we talk about our own issues. You know, we just you put it out into the world, you personally learn. And through that process, you notice more. You will be able to correct in the moment for when you have those biases. The other thing is that it models for people how we can talk about this sort of thing. Mm. Because there's a lot of talk about what things needs to change and a lot of people saying, these other people need to change, these other things need to change, and those are all important. But another important facet to this is for those who are willing to model for everyone else how to just take responsibility for your own bias and your own unfair attitudes and your own unfair behavior. Because through that, other people can see, oh, so... What we're talking about when we're talking about racism is something that everyone does. And some people are more guilty of it than others. Some groups are more guilty of it than others. But everyone does it. And if we can all just admit it, then we can all kind of move forward. And uh, to destigmatize racism, in a sense, to destigmatize admitting that you have racist attitudes or sexist attitudes and so on. To destigmatize and normalize just admitting that you are human, you're a human being, and you have human foibles just like anyone else. So I thought today we would just kind of rattle off. What do you say, Berto? Super interesting. Very, very dangerous. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I'm an LOL surprise uh, spoiler. So for those who are new to the podcast, it feels important that the two of us state up front that we do a lot to counter oppression and marginalization. And I I just want to state for the record, if you haven't been listening to the podcast, that I consider the label of a social justice warrior to be a positive mantle. And I don't shy away from that. And I've been fighting, I've been doing my best to fight injustice uh, to some extent my whole life, but 
in earnest since I became a therapist in the mid-90s when I became more aware of these sorts of things. And as an Asian American, I've experienced racism my entire life. And for the record, my family members were imprisoned. They call it internment camps or concentration camps, but I don't like that term because it's imprisonment. They were imprisoned behind barbed wire and machine guns pointed in, yeah. in forcibly. Prison might have been better than these kind of camps because these camps were in terrible weather areas. And if they were at least in a building in like San Francisco, things would have worked out better. So right. this is somewhat like worse than prison. During World War II, I knew these family members that were rounded up unfairly. They were born, born American citizens in Washington State, rounded up. So, you know, the, the list goes on and on in terms of, and, right. you know, I was called a chink recently. So What? Recently? Yeah. And so, Jeez. you know, there's, there's racism out there. And so I feel like I just want to state that up front. But moving forward... I don't want to have to make any excuses for my behavior. I don't want to admit a racist behavior and say, but, uh, you know, I'm a good person. Right. Do you have any caveats, Berto? Uh, well, I mean, so, I mean, I've, I've, I grew up in a heterogeneous, uh, sorry, a homogeneous culture, mostly in Bogota, where most of the people around me looked like me, but hiding just under the surface was extreme classism and racism, and I didn't know it. Uh, and then as I've been in this country, I've been a lot more exposed to a wide range of variety of, of people. And as I've grown older, I've certainly, my mind has been open in many, many directions. But, you know, I've been a horrible person by, by modern standards as I was growing up. Um, so... I, I, I've been doing my best to learn over the years. Yeah, and I would say that unless, you know, if people don't know Umberto that well, you are, uh, you try really hard to be fair and strive for social justice causes and and have experienced racism yourself as a uh, Latinx person in the United States. Right. So, all right, let's get into it. Oh, sorry. One, one other thing I was going to mention is, uh, earlier you were saying how uh, I think if we can all feel safe or, you know, basically say, yeah, here's what I go, here's what I think, here's how I am being bigoted or racist, or et cetera. And it can help us, you know, learn from that and grow. And one thing that tends to get in the way of that is when people uh, are, you know, are afraid to say those things or admit those things because of the fear of the immediate and ultimate repercussions uh, so it's it's ironic because we want to have repercussions for our behavior, but at the same time, we need to be able to talk about our behavior. <laughs> so we need to be able to strike a balance there as a society. Well, yeah. Uh, repercussions, what do you mean, repercussions? Like, you know, when a, if a celebrity comes out and says, yeah, I used to think this way, it's quite likely that some subset of people online are going to be like, oh, I can't believe you used to think that way. Well, then you're done. You know, and then that next celebrity is not going to say what they used to think. And then we're all going to think, oh, yeah, well, it was just that one celebrity that used to think that way. Uh, okay, great. Then it's there's no racism. There's no problem. It's just a one off. And when in reality, no, 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 no. It's everyone. Everyone used to think that way and still does in many different ways. Right. And so, like, 
that that's what I'm saying that it's it's unfortunate that um it there have been some cases where people speak up and it backfires on them for for being honest about how they used to be right yeah yeah like uh what Liam Neeson kind of ran into that yeah i forget he was the... trying to be open and and i mean he it was a horrible like horrible thing and you know and there was no safe way to share it and maybe in that case there couldn't have been <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm forgetting the details but anyway yeah. all right so let's focus on racism first so for me i have a long list here and this is things that i just came up with today so if I was given more time, I would have come up with more things. But the first thing that came to mind was I have, over time, up until recently, become complacent about police brutality against black people. Uh, up until about five or ten years ago, I would, I would get really worked up about it. I was out with some friends. He has a friend who is a police officer, and we were out late at night at a bar downtown in Belltown and. Um, I got to talking with him, and this is way before Black Lives Matter, way before any of this uh, awareness. But it was starting; we, we were starting to get video, cell phone video of police brutality, hmm. and you know, in a world previous to ours, you just took the word of the police officer. Look, he tried to grab my gun; I shot him. Right, and you're just like, well, who am I going to believe this <laughs> this criminal? Or a police officer. Well, let's, let's believe the police officer, depending on where you come from. But then we start seeing these videos, and the stories weren't matching the video. And you're like, whoa. So wait a second. And I was, getting, I was worked up about it for a number of years, and I had this really big argument with this police officer. It was very awkward. So there are four of us sitting in a booth at the Belltown... What you know that Belltown Tavern B- or something? Belltown no. Billiards, anyway, okay. We went there once with all the guys years ago, but anyway. And so we're in a tight little booth, and the police officer sitting across from me, and he's in street clothes, by the way. So, and we got to talking, and for an hour, him and I were arguing, and I was yelling at him. I mean, I'm saying you're a racist. Oh my gosh! You shouldn't be in uniform. Because his attitudes was like very typical, right? Like just right. that, just that argument of like, like because the story that I was bringing up was in Wenatchee or Yakima here in Washington State. There was this uh, case where this Mexican American fella was walking around downtown Yakima, and he was having some kind of mental health episode. And he was throwing rocks. He was picking up rocks from the street and throwing them at cars. And oh. the, the police officers show up, and they're trying to get him to stop. And he's obviously having some kind of an issue. And he threw, he kept throwing rocks. They, and there were little rocks. We're not talking like boulders. We're talking in, inconsequential pebbles at the police officers. And he's not armed, and he's clearly not armed because he just has a T-shirt and shorts. And he starts walking away. And the police just gun him down in his oh back. Oh, my God. Yeah. And their excuse was, well, he was wielding a deadly weapon with these rocks, and he might have hurt someone. Shh. 
Jeez. And so I was talking about this case, but and I might have the details wrong, but that was the premise of the argument anyway. Mm-hmm. And I thought for sure this police officer would be like, yeah, it's probably crossing the line. I mean, there's other things you can do. Tasers, tackle him, <laughs> um, you know, wait, wait for him to kind of peter out or whatever. Unarmed man throwing pebbles, you know. And... But he wasn't. He was fully supportive of it. And and he was like, he was wielding a deadly weapon. And I'm like, pebbles on the street? Yes, you could kill someone with a rock. I'm like, yeah, but not likely. (laughs) And the guy was having some kind of mental health episode in all likelihood. Is yeah. it, don't you, do you have do you have no other recourse besides gunning someone down in the back when they're nowhere near another human being? And and he's like, that was he was assaulting people who could have killed people. We have every right to shoot him and kill him. Oh my god! And it I just got more and more incensed by it, and completely ruined everyone's night. By the way. Because the you know my other two friends, they're just like, so can we change this? Yeah, because it no joke. Forty five minutes an hour of arguing loudly. Other tables are hearing us because I was I was getting upset. Yeah. So as you know, I was I was um I was really worked up in the past, but over time, I just gave up. I became Mm. cynical. I would hear about people marching for for one thing or another. I would see people speaking out. And we did an episode on Flando Castile, uh, but that was probably, I don't know, five years ago or something. And since that time, I just gave up. I just said, you know what? I don't, I didn't, it wasn't a conscious choice, but what I said was, I give up. Nothing's Mm going to change. Politicians don't change. Police don't change. I'm done. I, 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 I give up. Now, some people out there may be like, well, you know, that's understandable, but that's my privilege. Yeah. I, as a non-black person, have, a, have the privilege to say, ah, I give you up. You just turn it off. Yeah, I just yeah. like, I'm no longer paying attention. And, or not, I mean, not paying attention, but I'm hopeless or sure. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get emotionally involved in it. And thus, I'm not going to do anything when these things right. r- r- happen. And, when the George Floyd incident happened, I was ground zero for those uh, reports. You know, I'm on Reddit, and those kinds of things were happening right away. Wow. So I probably saw the video within an hour of everyone <laughs> else seeing it. And I saw the video, and I remember just being like, yeah, I mean, this. I've seen multiple videos like this in the past few years. Yeah, I mean, this stuff happens. And I didn't, I didn't get upset. I didn't react. I just thought, well, there's another another dead black person at the hands of police brutality in broad daylight. Happens all the time. Moving on in life, and that's my privilege. I can I can choose to ignore it because it me and my family, it's it's not it's not a problem. It doesn't impact me and my family. And then as the news reports co- start coming out of the riots and protesting in in Minnesota. And again, I was like, well, well, I mean, I'm sure that'll do nothing. Who cares? It'll be a little, it's weird that it's happening there. And I just kept choosing to ignore it. And then it wasn't until, I don't know, it was only like three or four days later. But at some point, it was like such an obvious reaction from society that was 
going all over the world that I was like, right. oh, wait. So this is actually happening? People are en masse actually going to do something about this? That's when I woke up again. But that's racist because, one, it's enacting privilege and, and not acknowledging my privilege. And two, turning off your empathy towards a group of people when, when obvious bad things are happening is also racism. It's just like, well, it, to, to be um, complacent is to uh, allow it to happen, essentially. Yeah. And I was participating in part in the system of power of killing black people and white supremacy by just not feeling comfortable with the frustration of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can, I can relate to the numbness over the years about many things actually, but certainly including police brutality, just the idea of you know, cause I equate it somewhat to uh, school shootings, how it's like, Oh yeah, another one, you know, like at some point you just get to be like, like this is just going to keep happening. You know, like you said, moving on with life, uh, which is horrific. And so I had gotten to the same point as well. Uh, the, the other thing is, like you, uh, because I am privileged, even though, even though I have um, my own struggles with, with racism and things like that that have affected me, luckily, because of where I live and that I'm not black, because, I, you know, being Hispanic, in some places I'd still have to worry, but here in this area, I've been fine. I've never had a bad interaction with cops even when i was being a complete bad member of society <laughs> so i've been very privileged in that sense um well therefore since it doesn't affect me directly i other than when i see posts from my friends on facebook that are uh black americans and and they are affected because they have to talk to their sons about and daughters about hey here's how you need to behave so you don't get killed um and then this happened, and I, I posted a video because I was like, I, I think the thing that bothered me in the moment was that everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people were like, oh, these looters. Like, that's the problem. Like, the problem is that there's looters. Yeah. Well, I want to stick to the racism uh, bias admission. So do you have an example? Oh, I saw. Sorry, I thought you were asking me about what you just brought up. So, um, yeah. Um, so I actually... I have several examples. Um, but most, most of my stuff is actually sort of towards white people, which is funny. Um, so we, were, we talked about this when we did the Tiger King episode. When I watched Tiger King, I actually felt repulsion in some of those episodes towards that subculture or that culture. And what I mean by that culture is it's a segment of white USA and then it's not really just white because actually it, it transcends, but a lot of it is white. Um, I guess what one might call white trash, and and I and I feel revulsion. And and when you brought it up in the episode, I realized, oh wow, yeah, like that's me not realizing. Like there's a whole host of people in this country that look and talk that way and everything, and I'm just lumping lumping them together into a, a stereotype. Um, and I'm essentially being racist. <laughs> right. 
And and the the word I would put to it is classism, specifically. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, you could say it's race related as well, but uh, it's it it's at least classist, right? And right. So the issue, the way that I would put it, is some of the entertainment value of that show was just the circumstances that what that transcended or wasn't a ingredient of class, like. Doc Antle, for example, didn't come across as working class, but surely all the other, you know, most of the other people did. Uh, the markers of working class, the way they talk, the their, the way they dress, their hair, the kinds of homes they live in, the, the things yeah. that they're interested in, this kind of thing. And the part of it that when it really came to a head for me, the... So, so there's there's an element of entertainment just based on the facts that most people would say, well, that's why I'm watching the show. But I found that there at least half of the enjoyment of watching this show for me and a lot of the people around me was was classism, just laughing at working class people. The the when it really came into sharp focus for me was when they had that guy, the the bigger guy with the bob haircut, yeah. is on the on the skidoo, the, the skidoo, and he's. And it's just a shot of him riding out into the sunset and then coming back. And it's this <laughs> long shot that has nothing to do with the story. The skidoo has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> but the way that he looks is yeah. there's so many markers of his place in our culture. Yeah. He is not part of the coastal elite. He is not part of the Hollywood class, if you will. Right. He's not part of the educated class. He 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 has all the the trappings. Just you just have to look at that scene. You have, you can know nothing about the guy, and you already draw all these conclusions about what group he belongs to. Sure. And people on on Reddit because there's a subreddit for the Tiger King subreddit that I subscribe to, and people were just laughing at that. They're just like, sure. look at this guy, and. Again, totally divorced from the story. If you're going to say this guy's a scumbag because he did X, Y, and Z, then okay. But the way he looked was the thing that was laughable. And I, too, was – I didn't realize it, I don't think, until later on in the series. But for the first number of episodes, you know, if I would call out my wife in this process, too, the two of us were – I think getting half of our enjoyment from from just pure classism, and that is just un uncool, man. That is, you know, that's a caste system, that's ridicule, that's yeah. Hunger Games kind of shit. <laughs> that yeah. when you see it, you're you're it's hard to resist because it's one of those biases that we still allow in our society. It's okay. There's still some things that are just completely allowable in our society and don't feel bad to us. You know, imagine if you had a Tiger King that was all black people right. and they had a lot of the trappings of black community culture or whatever you might call that, depending on what pocket they're in. And you were just laughing like, oh, look at what they're doing there. Most of us, I th- would hope, would say, uh, I don't know if this is okay. <laughs> to be laughing at that right well but somehow because they're poor white people it's completely fine yeah it's similar to uh, i mean you could take this probably anywhere in the world look at a 
community that is poor and that has uh, not as good education. Um, and you could make fun of it. You could be like, look, they don't know anything. They haven't read that. They haven't done this. Look at how they speak, blah, blah, blah. And that's completely classist. <laughs> Absolutely. So another variant of this is actually at, when I was watching the Waco show. Um, this is more about, I guess, religion. I, I am definitely, I have become very averse towards anyone that's very religious. So if I see someone on a show or in person um, that is very religious. So when I was watching this show, I felt that like, ah, oh, even though like not even just the main guy, just in general, I was like, oh, I don't like these people because they're so religious. You know, that gives me like, oh, right. Um, and, and by the way, and all these things symbolize something. Obviously, like, I mean, I don't want invading hordes of religious zealots to murder us all. Okay. <laughs> but like, that's not what everyone who's very religious is doing. <laughs> so, but that's the feeling I get of like, ah, that person's very religious. So I definitely sense that. Um, and I noticed that, that it was, it, it was bringing up some real anger in me <laughs> while I was watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so other racist behaviors that I have committed recently is so i don't know how to put this but i have a group of friends that i hang out with sometimes and they have friends that also hang out so it's like friends of friends that have become kind of my friends who the 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 times when we get together they exhibit racist attitudes and behaviors to the point of using the n-word what yeah I haven't heard people use the N-word in in any um, racist sense <laughs> since I was probably 15 years old, maybe 20 years old. It's been a long time mm-hmm. in my circle that I've heard anyone use the N-word in a racist tone or in anger yeah. or something. And to hear them just casually using the word... And it's hard for me. I, I never really asked, but I think they were just using it as a joke because they. it's like, well, we're among white friends here, even though I'm not entirely white, but it's, it was all white people. And they would use this word and it was just, it was just a shock through my system. And I didn't say anything. And I consider myself to be, like I said, a social justice warrior who doesn't back down from a fight. When that police officer was, I think, being wrong, I I don't back down from stuff like that usually when it's overt like that. But I was kind of an ancillary friend in this group. I, you know, it wasn't Mm. it wasn't my friend group. I I was definitely, you know, an invited guest into their world. And, but I didn't say anything, Hmm. and I should have said something to be complete. It's more it's. A lot of what, when I thought about what I've committed in the past few years, it's complacency, which is 100% racist. And I, and I do not let myself off the hook for that. To do nothing is to allow it to happen. To do nothing is to let it persist yeah. against things that are just so obvious. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even raise an eyebrow because what? I didn't want them to disapprove of me. I didn't want them to stop inviting me to their stupid club, of which, by the way, I'm never going again. 
I mean, <laughs> it, but it took George Floyd to wake me up to see reality. Yeah. I needed someone to die and I needed buildings to burn down for me who can who know who knows better to to put my foot down and say no, I'm not going to tolerate people using the n-word around me. I mean, that's just terrible of me. I I actually I remember doing that when I was uh younger, I was at a club and I I think I was in my like early 20s and I think because I didn't grow up in Colombia, that was not a word we knew. First of all, you know, like th- there isn't the equivalent in Spanish. Uh, I mean, w- there's plenty of racism and there's other words and things for different races and things. But the N-word wasn't something like we threw around at all because it wasn't it just wasn't a thing. Um and then when I moved up here, of course, I was I became aware, but I didn't really become aware. So I thought, "Oh yeah, okay, that's the word you're not supposed to use." But then I remember I was at I was this club and I thought in my head because I'm Hispanic and just to be like controversial, I was just like throwing it around, but like not insulting anyone, just like blah blah blah, N word, blah blah. And wait, wait, remember, wait, wait, wait. How old were you when this was? I was happening? in my early twenties. Yeah. Okay. Like, like I was at, at a college, like not at a college and, event. And what but it was, con- Like what were you? We were at a cl- at a club at a. But like, what club. were you trying to say with? with the n-word just like um how how a black person may talk trying you know talking cool or whatever oh just i was trying to be like that but i didn't realize and so like the person i was with one of the people i was with got really offended and i was like what i'm hispanic (laughs) and i just i had no idea i had no no understanding of like so and i i also didn't know the the backdrop of like the amount of hurt that that could cause someone because I, the, that's the other thing is I didn't grow up understanding slavery at all. Like we had slaves in Latin America. We had things, but this is not something we were taught. And, and I remember in high school, when I was here in high school, I think slavery was like one week, maybe in, in one of the classes. Like, yeah. oh yeah, and then there was slavery. Hand wave, hand wave. Right. On to the next subject. Right. And we fixed that with the Civil War. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So I just didn't know, you know, and, and I remember I, I, I'm embarrassed to this day of like that moment of like, oh, oh, wait, that's not okay. But I didn't actually, I, I was actually not learning it in that moment because I was very dismissive. I was like, what? I'm Hispanic, whatever. I do what I want. Um, <laughs> and just like now thinking, oh man, I just don't understand. And I think that's true for a lot of people is that they don't actually have a way to experience what it's like to to have stories from your from your parents let alone your grandparents and let and even you going oh yeah this horrible thing happened oh yeah uncle joey was hung by it from a tree or whatever like horrific thing that you just don't have any reference for right yeah and i think all of us have committed things like that there's two kinds of ignorance there's ignorance that i would deemed to be or society might deem to be understandable you coming from bogota it's understandable you just how would you know but then there's ignorance that people will say privileged people will say well how am i supposed to know well how much time have you spent looking into something uh i had someone say say this to me recently at antioch They, they were talking about this and they um i can't remember the exact reason why they were saying this and the and but the gist was that it's not up to people of color, to black people, 
to educate everyone about things that aren't that difficult to find out information about that you know when you want to learn when when you buy a new boat and you want to learn how to you know drive the boat in the water without running into things and and you want to learn the rules of the road so to speak you just set out to learn it you don't right. You don't sit there. You don't just take the boat out and go like, well, I don't know. No one told me what to do. You set out to learn it because because no, people know how to learn things. They know how to look <laughs> things up. And being ignorant about the experience of BIPOC people, black, indigenous, people of color, is not an excuse. You've known for decades that there's a problem. And if you don't know enough about it, then that's on you. So yeah. uh, anyway, but this is about me and you and our behavior. Other things that I've done are being wary of black and brown people when I'm downtown Seattle. You know, Antioch is in Belltown, which can't, you know, used to be a rough part of town. It isn't so much anymore, but it still has some rough corners, if you will. And when I see black and brown people, because I, well, I'll just stick to the facts is, I will, there's a little bit of adrenaline that I can feel in me, you know, a little bit of oh, what's, what's going on with that guy. Now, I very quickly try to counter it, but I do have that reaction. Other kinds of things are in, at school as a professor, when, when I lecture about racism, I, up until recently, I, I would have defended my approach, but after more uh, awakenings recently, I so I've been lecturing about racism with my students for over 20 years um specifically to people who are learning how to counsel people most of whom are white people and so talking about racism is an important you know element of it and getting used to just talking about race and over time I came to this place where I wanted to get people away from talking about black racism, not away from it, but I wanted to, I wanted to emphasize other types of racism and other types of oppression and marginalization because there are many. Because a lot of people who are just starting out in their awakening are hyper-focused on black oppression. And in my effort to kind of broaden the conversation to sexism, classism, Asian Americans, Latinx people, uh, Muslims. I uh, de-emphasized racism against black people, I think, too much. Mm. I think I basically uh, was giving the impression of just like, well, there's, there's racism going every which way. Right. Instead of really emphasizing the fact that we have a country and a society that is particularly racist and against black people and we have a particularly white supremacist society and structure yeah so that was more of my privilege Hmm. because i'm not black but i'm asian american so it's easier for me to spread out the discussion to asian americans for example because i i feel very comfortable in that in that space talking about it. But, you know, facts on the ground empirically, 
there are groups of people like black people that are treated much, much worse. And historically, anyway, another yeah. thing is, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not providing enough space to talk about race in general in my classes. I don't think I'm not. And one way I'm not, um, cause you know, the students sit down in my class to learn about a lot of different things. There's a lot of things we got to get to, right? Technique, theory, counter-transference, conceptualization, treatment, technique, all these different things. And it's easy to kind of have race and white supremacy as a add-on or a asterisk. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't prov- giving it enough space to just have people talk about it. Another element is that when I saw issues coming up with students, I wasn't challenging them enough. I wasn't, mm. I wasn't pushing it hard enough because that's kind of a, a difficult space to be in, to have right. a student that needs to be confronted on something that's scary because they could hate you and they could literally sue you as a student for right. not being a good enough professor. I mean, that happens. And it, it's easier to take the easy road, which is where all of us can just not talk about it, right? Just, we'll just avoid the whole conversation. Which unfortunately um, happens a lot. Right. Yeah. Um, and a manifestation of privilege. Also, not paying attention to student-to-student microaggressions, not doing anything about it. Uh, I tend to be kind of hands-off when it comes to student conflicts. If I see a conflict between students, I usually just try to mitigate it, distract somehow, and, and just sort of move on. You don't go like, fight, fight, fight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I am maybe participating in a racist structure by just glossing over it instead mm-hmm. of helping people or standing up to the microaggressions that are happening. Um, or having an attitude as a person who holds mostly privileged identities of just like, well, you know, everyone makes mistakes. That that microaggression, you know, some people make mistakes sometimes. Well, we'll let it go. Instead of saying, wait a second, let's let's look at what's happening there. <laughs> and this isn't accounting, right? This isn't accounting classes. This is classes about humans helping other humans of various different cultures. So right. it's highly relevant <laughs> to the material. Yeah. And so there's that. And the last thing here that I thought about was not paying enough attention to strife and atrocities in, in, around the world, uh, not only in our own country, which are happening, but in various different places around the world, Africa, for example. Yeah. I, looking back in my um, you know, time on this planet, when those things occur, I, you know, I'll read the headlines and I might, I might throw my hands up briefly and be like, oh, what's going on in the world? Or, you know, how come Bill Clinton isn't intervening? What's going on yeah, here? Yeah. But I don't march. I don't speak out. I don't even necessarily vote based on that uh, problem. We as a society, as a country, are collectively racist against whole other countries, Mexico. And 
that's not right either. <laughs> Just because yeah. they're not in our country doesn't mean it, it's not happening. And and that's that is just if you th- well when I think about it about myself I just consider it to be one of the most immoral things that I could ever do and have done. A hundred years from now, fifty years from now, or even people today have every right to look at me and say, "What have you done for the people who are dying unnecessarily around the world? What have you done?" Uh, you you contributed to Doctors Without Borders. Okay, whatever. What have you have you done? Have you voted? Have you marched? Have you raised awareness? Right. Have you fought? Have you got angry? Have you lost sleep? What have you done? And the answer is almost nothing. And that is just unacceptable. That that is that is racist beyond racist for me. And and I need you know I need to atone for that. <laughs> that it's just a a terrible, terrible thing that I vow to try to change. And it's this exercise, really, that kind of yeah. put it into sharp focus for me of just like, wait, okay, you got to come up with a list to talk on the podcast today. And then this one popped in my head, and I was just like, oh, I don't know if I want to admit this one. Yeah. You know, because all mean, the excuses it's... come to your head, you know, which I won't mention. But yeah. I could deny and excuse all day long, but there is no excuse. No, but this is true of so many, of all of us in, in our privileged pocket. Uh, you know, we, we live in the cream of the crop of history. Like, who, what group of people has had it better in all of history? It's even better than the kings and queens of, of you know, of uh, olden times, right? Because uh, we're not dying of gout. Like, and I'm talking about like, our little social pocket yeah. of uh, uh, hyper-privileged, you know, sure, we're not billionaires, but like the skip between us and the billionaire class is ironically much, much smaller than between us and even, not even abject poverty, just poverty in most of the world. Right. It's, that's, that's how crazy, because, you know, yeah. like when you compare a billionaire's daily routine to like us, yeah, they might take a private flight. But dude, they're eating almost the same kind of foods. Right. Yeah, same that, cleanliness level, same vaccine access, all that stuff. Right. That's why I bring up uh Hunger Games because we are those people. Yeah. At the center. With our frilly hats. Yeah. <laughs> we we are not Katniss. We like to think we're Katniss. Right. right. We are not Katniss. We're cheering for Katniss to get killed. Woo. Yeah. Woo-hoo. We're um uh, Elizabeth Banks, <laughs> we're her. We, we're yeah. you know you and I are in that super privileged elite. We're rattling our jewelry. <laughs> yeah, and you know countless other human beings around the planet are looking at us like how heartless and yeah. ignorant and immoral and psychopathic you are as a collective. Um, and there's so many elements to this, like, and I love football, hmm. but when you really look at it, it's like, wait, you're paying mostly black people to break their brains for our entertainment. And many of them would rather not. And 
it's complicated, of course. If you talk to many players, they're going to say, "No, I love the game." You know, you, you, this is this is my dream. Right. But there are so many things like this boxing, because um, you know, if, if you feel like your only way to make money is to break your body in the process, you know, what's the problem with anyway? Yeah. So let's, I'm going to go on to sexism. So sexism was a hard one for me to get into personally because I haven't I probably have a long way to go when it comes to sexism. So and on this podcast, you know, I people listening right now are probably maybe thinking of, "Oh, well, I remember that one time Kirk when you said this or that." And I bet you anything 9 times out of 10 it's it's either classist or sexist that I'm that I'm committing. Maybe ageist, maybe ableist, but but sexism is just so hard to get out of as a man who grew up in the seventies and eighties. I just have yeah. it I have it so in my bones. And and some of them some of the sexist attitudes and just sort of tendencies are just so a part of the way things feel right to me, like not listening to women when they talk, you know, listening, but not really listening or listening and saying, well, you know, in the back of my mind saying, well, you know, it's a woman talking, so they're not as smart or as logical as I am or something. I just can't imagine how many times this is happening and, and perhaps how noticeable it is to people listening sometimes. Yeah. Um, I I mean, so it's interesting because I've, uh, you know, I grew up in essentially a, a a complete patriarchy, right? Um, The Catholic church is the ultimate patriarchy. You know, it's, you can only be a priest if you're a male God is certainly a male. His son is certainly a male. The Holy Spirit's a male. The angels are male. There's one woman in the mix. You know, she's the Virgin Mary. But everyone else is male. And the, the king here on earth, as far as we're concerned, is a male. He's the Pope. And all the priests are males. That's it. Women are not allowed. And it used to be even worse, right? Like, I, I, think, I don't think women were allowed necessarily in the church and stuff. But anyways, so that was the religion of my country to start with. And then the culture is very much like, um, you know, there is very, there are very strict lines between men and women about what's expected. So what have Uh, you done though? That's sexist. Well, no, I'm, I'm giving the backdrop as to like, what did I do this more? What did I do five seconds ago? Like my mind is constantly sexist because it's like, I, that's like, you're saying that's what you expect. Absolutely. That's what I expect because that's everything I grew up with. So, you know, any number of examples. For example, uh, just the other day, I, I'm I am uh, talking to someone at work, and I'm thinking, you know, well, it's it's a woman, so I'm going to have to like explain this, <laughs> and you know that that's an automatic thing that that's terrible because it's like I actually, you know, I've, I'm aware of the whole mansplaining thing. I'm aware of all these things, and yet it's still like the the little thought bubble enters my mind, you know, uh, or, or just like, for example, the countless examples I've given of me 
just not understanding the dynamic between men and women, and so therefore being at a club and uh, you know being being one of the douche people, <laughs> like hitting on women like aggressively and things like this. Um, but I think the one recent that I just did this week was uh, or last week is I was reacting to one of the videos uh, about the Darcy in one of those uh, dating shows. Um, anyways, the the thing is that this gal, I think, has had some plastic surgery. Um, and I went on a little bit of a rant about it. I, I realized that I actually have a, this very negative reaction whenever I see any woman. And I could say it's also men, but it's mostly when... Well, certainly it's also men, but mostly I, I see women that have had, like, the plastic surgery. But not being... Not acknowledging or being aware of, like, why... And it's it's really, um, you know, hypocritical of me because, for example, I rail against when people say, well, the inner city, like those neighborhoods with all those black people or those Hispanics or whoever, they have a lot of crime, you know, and I rail against. I'm like, yeah, why? Well, because they're lazy. No, no, no. Why? <laughs> like, get to the root of why and then you'll see what the problem is. Uh, and yet in this case, I'm like, oh, I don't like that look. Why do they have to do that stuff to their face? Don't they know they don't need to do that? But like not asking, but why? Why do they need, why do they feel they need to do those things? Why are they having to go through those surgeries? What is the long history that is leading them to, leading some percentage of, of, of these women to feel like they need to constantly improve their features? Right. And so that, yeah, that, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a long history of men feeling like they have the right to, get upset when women do things to their look, right? Yeah. Like, how come you're not smiling? Or you don't have long hair, you look too butchy. What are you doing to yourself? Or you yeah. should dress more like a woman should dress. There's a long history of men commenting on the way women look. Right. And, and they're, they're, they're enacting their freedom on their own bodies. <laughs> and men commenting on it like i don't like what she's doing as a free human being in this planet doing something to her face and body like it's very ugly as the you know the male commenter yeah other kinds of sexism that i can quickly think of is um, at work at my university when men talk in meetings, I tend to listen more closely, and when women talk, I tend not to listen as closely. This is something that I, as a social justice warrior, have been investigating for many years, and so I've tried to adjust for that. But I just thought back to some meetings I've been in over the past few weeks, and I was like, yep, I absolutely, in all likelihood, had a different vibe when men were talking in these meetings as opposed to when women were talking. Hmm. Um also, when I speak, I probably speak with more male paternalistic authority in meetings at work instead of being more tentative and more humble. Uh, so that's, that's another, um, you know, sexist behavior. Also, it, when I'm at work with my students, I have mostly female students, but some male students. And the currently, anyway, uh, 
I have non-binary people in, in other quarters, but the point is, is that when, so my supervisees cry sometimes that mm-hmm. their life is going shitty or they had a shitty th- time with a client or something and, right. and they'll cry. And when a male student cries, I probably feel more weight to it than when, a, when one of my female supervisees cries. Did I say male client or male student? Male, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I hope you get my meaning there. And yeah. that's sexist. Why? It's like, well, you know, women cry all the time, so what's the big deal? But when men cry, that's special. It's, it's just that male supremacy attitude. Also, I tend to joke around a lot in wherever I am. Yeah. And since some jokes can be on the line sometimes... I remember a long time ago, I don't know, 10 years ago or something, a my boss was making these kind of sexualized jokes in a small meeting. And I was going along with it, just playing along. And then a woman in the meeting just yelled out the word sexist. <laughs> and I remember just being like, you know, this is part of Antioch, social justice, right? So she all she had to do was just say sexist. And I thought, whoa, what? What's happening? <laughs> and just that, because to have uh, innuendo as men with women in the room, in a particular tone, even though we're, you know, I'm just playing along with someone else's joke, is a is a very sexist act. It's it's aggressive. It can feel aggressive to other people. It can it can silence other people in a certain way. On this podcast, I'm guessing you and I have committed similar kinds of things you know if it's just the two of us we i'm positive i can't remember anything off the top of my head have committed sexist jokes or sexist attitudes or something i'm terrified of people emailing me (laughs) about what it is i welcome it but I'm terrified of the things that i have done on this podcast that have been sexist that you know Racism on this podcast, I, for some reason, I know that's happened too, but I feel like it's happened maybe less. And I'm also, for some reason, just less sensitive. I'm really sensitive about being re- sexist on this podcast, maybe because it hits too close to home or something for me. Mm. But I welcome the comments. I, I, I do have an interesting question about the, the innuendo part. Uh, do you feel like if you're at a party, not work... Is it okay to have sexual innuendo? Well, you're not asking one of those silly questions that people ask, right? I'm, I'm asking. That's a silly question. It's context-based. Right. It, it is context-based. Because you and I got in a debate the other day. Depends on I was the innuendo. Exp- I was trying to explain that it, it, one of the things is that I, I can't be myself, quote-unquote, at work. Because if I were myself at work, it, the way I am at a party and stuff. And, and I think you were trying to explain that... Well, I can't, you can be yourself, just that you're ad- adapting to different contexts. And I was trying to say, like, yeah, it's, it's just that my, uh, my more default self is the one that would say the innuendo. So at work, I need to be like, oh, yeah, that part of myself I need to shut off because I'm at work. The default is I would say the innuendo. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And that over the years, that's gotten easier. But it was, um, the default was always on. And I think it was on for for men through the ages. 
And I think that was the deal. Men at work were always on by default the way they normally would be. And then... But the question is why? Now, uh, because the common response of that awareness is, well, that's just how men are. But when you actually look at uh, the philosophy and people who are spend their entire lives studying this sort of thing, it's much more of signaling to fellow males that you're a part of the team. Oh, yeah. Signaling that, oh, yeah, we all understand that women are lesser. Um, this is, we don't say that overtly because that's just uncouth, but, but we're in a constant state of signaling, you can trust me because I am just as sexist as you are. And we're all participating in the, the unspoken rule of suppressing female power so that we can have power. Well, I mean, that's our interpretation of it, but it's, I think it's even more basic than that, right? It's throughout history, like there wasn't a lot of mixture in our modern societies anyways, the last couple thousand years or whatever, between men and women. So like men would be around men working and well, men are... I, we've been in this argument before. I, I don't know if it's hard to generalize to the <laughs> last 2,000 years, one... Well, fine, Across but what I'm saying world. is that men, men didn't sit there. In fact, because they weren't aware, they didn't sit there going like, huh, are you sexist too? Yeah, me too. Like, of course not, right? Instead of like, like quote unquote, you like women, hot women, right? Yeah, me too. Yeah, because we're men. Yeah, now, the subtext the, underneath through our modern eyes is like, oh, I key. Institu- institutionalized sexism, yes. Um, but to them, they're just dudes being dudes, and there's no women around. And then all of a sudden, there's women around, and the guys didn't change their behavior. There's other classes things that I do at my university. One of which is that I, and I've realized this over the last few years and done very little to adjust for it, but actually, I think I realized this maybe five years ago because a student actually told me. She came forward. So I have a very tight-knit class called Case Consultation that lasts longer than a year. And the students are in the class for 15 months, and we meet three hours. We meet once a week for three hours, and it's like five people, five or six students. So the um, the class becomes quite intimate. And mm. about five years ago, one of my students said something like, so I just want to come out of the closet and say that I come from low-class, working class. I come from poverty. I come from drug addiction. I come from, uh, you know, broken homes and food stamps and um, lack of education. And I just want to say that at Antioch, I have to, I have to act. I have to pass as middle class because mm. there's no space for my people. And... That was so eye-opening to me. Now, since then, I've tried to adjust kind of, but not enough. And more recently, I've had some other students come forward and say that they come from a similar background. And it's a part of my privilege because I come from middle class. I don't know what the definition of middle class is, but I come from a class of people in suburban Seattle where all the kids were assumed that they were going to go to college. 
And all the kids assumed that they would be able to pay for it, either, you know, often by their parents and sometimes by loans. It was assumed that your house would look a certain way at the, you know, there's a threshold there that you would talk a certain way and so on. And I, throughout my life, have just sort of figured, especially if someone's in my world, that, well, they must be at least middle class, if not upper class. Right. The idea that someone would come to Antioch from poverty and drug addiction and homelessness was something that had just never crossed my mind. And that people from those backgrounds would feel like they couldn't voice the fact of where they come from because of judgment or just, well, of judgment, just like, wait, yeah, you were homeless and using crack on the street. What <laughs> kind of therapist could you be? Now, I'm not saying that's a working class part of it, but it's just, you know, the sort of backgrounds that don't fit well into middle class, clean culture. Yeah. yeah. And for me to enact that privilege and for me to not welcome, to not say, by the way, I welcome all classes in this class. If you want to reveal that you're from working class or upper, even upper class, some people upper class feel like they can't reveal themselves. You know, if they came from extremely rich families, they, not that we feel that bad for them, but they also feel like they can't voice where their background. And I feel like I need to do more of that. That, that from a place of privilege and power, it's easy to just say something like, well, you know, I, I'm welcome. I, I'm not going right. to be upset if pre- people bring it. I'm a good person. Well, that's not enough, right? You have to prove through some means as a person of power that this is a safe place for people to come out of the closet. Yeah. You can't just say in your head, I'm, I'm open. I'm not going to. You have to put it out there. Like in my disclosure statement for my practice, I don't just say, well, you know, I don't just in my head say, well, I'm open to LGBTQIA people. It actually, I actually, you have to explicitly say it. And I say it in my disclosure statement that I'm LGBTQIA friendly and that I fight for social justice. Because until you say that, people, the oppressed don't know where you stand. And if you don't say anything, how are they supposed to test the waters with you? Because if, if you are an unsafe person, to ask the question is to put your head on the chopping block, right? Yeah. I, you know, the thing about the, I guess you would call, you'd still, that's a form of classism, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I on, the, on one hand, felt those feelings growing up because I was at a private school where basically 90% of those kids were very wealthy and I was lower middle class at best. Um, and I, I just was embarrassed constantly. But now I do it in reverse, you know, like I, I just assume things. I, I take things for granted, really. Uh, so there's been times uh, even with, so not all my relatives, in fact, a lot of my relatives are not in the same socioeconomic uh, class that I am afforded. And when I go visit the, in Colombia, a lot of times I'm like, oh, we're going to go out this Friday to this one club. Everyone's invited. You came with us, you know, you were there. 
And I just, I'm assuming, like, yeah, we're going out. And then, you know, I've found out, like, secondhand, like, well, such and such couldn't come because it's too expensive here. Now, I would have said, like, well, I'll pay for them. But it's like not me not realizing, oh, I see. Like, when I invite people to such and such club, the math for me is trivial. I'm like, yeah, we're going to go. So what? The money is no object. And for them, it's like, oh, geez, I can't. I can't go spend drinks because I need this money for milk next week. Yeah, you know? it's so it's so bizarre, but it's so revealing. Cuz we've seen scenes like this in movies and TV where the the super rich kid who's just oblivious says, "We're all going to Morocco. We'll we'll, yeah. we'll see you there, you know? <laughs> um, we'll meet you there tomorrow. Make sure you, you know, book a private plane to get there." And the the middle class or lower class, you know, protagonist is like, oh, crap, how am I going to pass? How am I going to act? <laughs> and, and you're just like, oh, that was oblivious billionaire kids. Right. And we are those people or yeah. I am that person. Yeah. Just thinking <clears throat> like, well, of course, everyone has means and money is yeah. no object and just forge ahead, you know, just make plans and, and let, you know. I'll meet you there. Not right. considering that not not only can other people not afford it, but it's incredibly humiliating to say, "I'm sorry, I, I can't go because I, I can't, can't afford it." Well, and it's it's unfortunate that you would think the lesson would carry over. Like I'd be super hyper aware of it because I was in that boat. But in this, this is a case where it's not where. You know, the school wasn't very sensitive to like, I wonder if all the students here can afford... Because it'd be stuff like, hey, uh, we're going to go on a field trip in two weeks. Each of you need to bring 200 bucks or however much it was. And they certainly weren't sensitive to like, oh, I wonder if every student can afford this, right? right? And then I couldn't. And oftentimes it came down to the wire and then like my mom would have to... Oh, and even then I was still privileged because like my mom could wire money from the United States. You know, but there were times where I couldn't do things. I couldn't buy the things I needed. There were materials I needed for some classes I can get. But for some reason, I didn't retain that lesson. Like, oh yeah, not everyone might be able to do all the same things. <laughs> right. Like we're not all so privileged. Yeah. And it's strange that one could experience that on the bad end and then commit it on the privileged end. Yeah. Another thing that I commit classism within is for homeless people downtown or people that are asking for money or even just people sleeping on the streets. When, particularly when I lived downtown, you know, I lived in Belltown for an, a, a lot of years and would, people would sleep right outside my door um, in that, because I lived in that alleyway. And after a while, I just became, I mean, I had already became mostly desensitized just living in Seattle anyway but particularly when I lived downtown to the point of annoyance because I would I would just be trying to walk to and from work or to and from the store because I didn't I could mm-hmm. walk everywhere downtown and the the frequency of the of someone coming right up to me and asking me for something it was just, it was so often that I became so that you know there's there's a complicated sort of solution or process of like, well, what do you do in a situation like that? You know, do you give them the money? Do you give it to a charity that can help them in the long run with housing? But 
the bottom line was I'd turn off my empathy to those people. I just yeah. stopped thinking, thinking of them as human beings that deserved my empathy at the very least. Like, forget money and, and stopping and talking, talking to them per se, but just in my heart, just saying, just dehumanizing them or I don't know, just considering them to be like annoying people who just bother me on my way to work instead of yeah. people who have so much suffering and so are so underprivileged compared to me that this is their state. This is this is yeah. what this is their circumstance that requires that they ask me for help, and yeah. just not giving them the human uh, uh, respect, I suppose. Yeah, you know, and it's unfortunate because you know i've i've had I've had bad ex- bad experiences where uh, I tried to help and. Then it bit me, um, and then even recently, uh, we were out in downtown Tacoma, I think it was, uh, and someone I was with, we had extra food, so someone I was, uh, and a person was asking for money. Oh no, no, it was in L.A., right outside of Disneyland. Person was asking for money. We had a half a sandwich, and we went up to offer it, and the guy first ignored us, and we thought he didn't hear. So he's like, "Here, have the sandwich," and then, you know, he was like. Uh, f off or whatever um and it's unfortunate because they're they're in pain and they're you know probably addicted to some stuff and um and then that makes that makes you numb you're like oh i guess i'll never help or i'll I'll stop caring or whatever uh but the problem doesn't go away the people are still hurting and they're still homeless (laughs) right another category is ageism and i am guilty of ageism when I hear markers of youth, particularly female youth, I will prejudge them as irrelevant or immature or not intelligent. I did this with a student a number of years ago. I had a fairly young, youngish student, and I remember treating her like she wasn't as important as, or at least in my head, I wasn't I didn't have an attitude towards her that she mattered as much as students who didn't come across with those markers of youth, if you will. Um, That's another thing. Another thing that just pops in my head that I didn't write down is online right now, you know, it's the whole Karen thing, right? People are... Yeah. Can you explain that to me? I don't know what the Karen thing is. I keep saying Karen this, Karen that. So you don't go on Reddit that much, right? No. Yeah. So on Reddit, I don't know when it was. It was probably a couple years ago. It's similar to the Chad and Stacy and Becky okay. name. They Someone would be in a parking lot and there'd be some woman yelling at them about parking wrong or something. And uh, they'd, they'd pull out their phone and they'd film this woman. The woman would usually be middle-aged, white, um, you know, very average looking woman. So was there one that was named Karen and that's how this started? No. Oh, <laughs> and, and, and they just labeled them Karens. Yeah. So someone, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, uh, uh, what do they call it? Typhoid, uh, typhoid Karen. I, I don't know the, the first Karen, but I see, but the, the title would be, um, you know, this Karen yelling at me for parking wrong. <laughs> And it, and I get it because because when you say Karen, 
that is a middle-aged white woman. You know, like the, there's certain names that are so commonly <laughs> of a certain group of, of person that all you got to say is the name and you, you can visualize in all likelihood the person that has that name. That's funny because to me, Karen was Karen Brooks, who was this girl I had a crush on in high school. <laughs> okay. Well, she's probably now very similar to the other Karens of, <laughs> of the world. And so people thought that was funny. And then the next person posts a video and like, well, check out this Karen. And it was similar to Chad. When you hear the name Chad, at least most, you and I know a Chad who was like not a Chad. He's <laughs> right. like, you know, soft-spoken and yeah. nerdy like us. Um, and I'm I'm more of a Chad than anyone else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was, was surprised when you explained the Chad thing to me because the name Chad to me doesn't. I don't equate it with what they mean by Chad. But <laughs> yeah, like I'm a Chad. I was captain of of the wrestling team, captain of the yeah. football team. I was homecoming royalty. I was on the ASB council. Right. I, you know, uh, got. Anyway, the point is, is you know, I was probably I was probably a douchebag in a lot of ways. So. I was at a fraternity. Anyway. Um, tick, 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 tick. Yeah. Tick. <laughs> so uh, I loved a man splain on the podcast. Can you explain to me what that means? Yeah. <laughs> so so then eventually Karen just started taking off as a Reddit label. And it, and it, and it, it ceased being funny to me after the first couple posts. The first couple posts, it, you know, it'd be like, check out this. What would be another name that would be? Like a say an older person, you know, check out what what's an older name like Vern, like would be a, a like my grandpa's name was Vern. So if okay. so, so, what would a similar name for like a an old white guy would be like I don't know what would be a name for an older I don't white know, Marty or something. Yeah, yeah, Marty. Check out this yeah. Marty. Yeah. So after. The first few videos, I it, it lost its comedic appeal, and mm. it, it switched to just ageism and sexism, because there's no equivalent for men, and it's not like women are the only ones yelling at people on the street, <laughs> and and so so this so Karen now for me just comes across as either ageist or sexist or both. Mm. Um, Interesting. And insensitive to all the Karens of the world, because there are so many Karens that I know right. who are wonderful people. It's like, is that namist? It's namist. Well, to me, it's just dumb comedy. You know, it's yeah. like children comedy. The, the fact that you would come up with like Chad and, I mean, my wife's name is Stacy. You know, these are human beings. It's just lack of empathy. Wait, to, Chad to, is married to Stacy. Yeah, right. And... And so it to me it's it's now none of us are supposed to care about the Chads and the Stacys of the world, right? Because they're the privileged. But anyway, it it comes across as kind of ugly to me, and and um, it's hard to know where things will head. But I, I I just can't wait for the day when that joke just kind of runs out, yeah. just becomes like so two thousand twenty, you know. By the way, what's the name of the... So there's Chad, Stacy. what's the other character? Becky, there's Becky's. And then what's... Is there a guy? No, that's the like thing. A, it's a, a lot of... a nerdy guy? There's no, no nerdy guy? No, it's, it's mostly women. 
So really? that's another thing to think about is what? like, it's another way to ridicule women to pigeonhole them and make fun of them. Hmm. Uh, like I said, on Reddit, there's not a meme of men yelling at people and being filmed. And there's a whole Reddit group of people hmm. who think that middle-aged women yell at people all the time. I'm not even joking. Really? They'll be like, oh, it's such a Karen. And they, what they mean is that's such a middle-aged white person that mm-hmm. they, they yell at people in the street. Why? To them, they've just been a, they don't know any middle-aged white people <laughs> except on Reddit. And to, to me, it's like, it's not fair because <laughs> the vast majority of Karens are better than you. <laughs> I know lots of Karens who are better people than you and I are anyway. So other um, ageist things that I do are, I guess not sticking up for Karens online, but uh, who knows what, but another thing that I notice that I do is older people. I will kind of make invisible to me at work or in public or something. There are people over a certain age, like, 65 or something mm-hmm. i just tend to think of them as well you know they're just old people who you know who cares about them you know they they're they're irrelevant they don't have any ideas that make any sense i guess it's just anyone who's not around my age <laughs> is <laughs> is irrelevant do you know what i mean sure. they're either too young to know anything or they're too old to have learned anything new <laughs> and that's incredibly ageist and and not cool Ableist behaviors, the the one thing that popped in my head immediately is that I don't provide transcripts for this podcast for people with hearing loss. Mm. And have have people have asked for it. They've said, you know, I have a friend who would really love your podcast, but she has hearing loss. And so could you maybe provide a transcript? And I'm always like, well, doesn't that cost a lot of money? <laughs> <laughs> And that's terrible. The fact that I, and I, I haven't even looked into it as a thing. I think I looked into it kind of as like, well, would there be some automated way to do it? But I didn't really look into it that hard. Not hard enough. I see. And that completely discounts millions upon millions of people who would have, and some of them have literally asked me for it, that I would just be like, eh, moving on in life. You know, yeah. it'd be like, a person in a wheelchair is trying to get up some stairs and I just walk right past them. She's like, huh, well, I don't know. They'll, I'm sure they'll figure it out. Just it's, it's again, there's two types of ignorance. There's the ignorance of like, well, how could I have known? Yeah. Birdo being from Bogota about the N word, how could he have known? And then there's the ignorant ignorance of, well, you're choosing to remain ignorant. Sure, you're, yeah. you're choosing to not pay attention to, to something even you're you're choosing to gloss over that and that's that's ableist by omission if you will like lying yeah. by omission sort of a thing also another ableist thing i thought of was so recently i've been having some sleep problems oh no and yeah over the past i don't know 9 months or something and I've tried so many different things and it's getting better. I've, I think I'm like 90% helped myself, but 
Okay. It's still it's very frustrating, you know, to not be able to sleep throughout the night. To it's not like you wake up a lot or you can't fall asleep. Uh, everything, yeah, oh, mainly wow. like just not getting good enough sleep overall. Yeah, and I had a friend a while back who suffered from sleep problems, and she would take drugs to like Ambien to help herself with sleeping, and I would. Uh, try quote unquote help her <laughs> you know sleep explain to her that there were ways to help her with her sleep that didn't have to involve Ambien or, or drugs and there are and maybe Ambien isn't the best idea which a lot of physicians will say but the attitude I had towards her was well you know establishing a good night's sleep is easy just do this and this and this and don't do that, and you're fine. Because mm. I, 10 years ago, slept really well throughout the night. <laughs> and today, I'm here to tell you, like, once you reach a certain age, or there's, you get in a certain habit, or I don't know, or your, I think it's just your body changes, like, it's such a tenuous physical process. Yeah. I'm learning. And I feel bad for how simplistic I was towards her. Just like, ah, oh, you know, it's easy. And now I realize, you know, a similar thing happened to me when I started having back pain. Mm. I broke my back in playing football and um, I have a problem with a disc and everything. And when I started having back pain, it just ruins your life. Yeah. You know? And I, for the first time in my life, realized, oh, this must be what it feels like to have chronic pain. It 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 just it's it just ruins everything. It ruins yeah. it ruins sleep, it ruins your meal, it re, it ruins a movie, it ruins hanging out with your friends. It you can't ruins, focus on anything. Yeah, it just ruins everything. It it ruins playing a video game. And it wasn't that bad and it was Temporary. It only lasted for a couple of years. I don't have it anymore, thank God. <laughs> but again, why does it take me to actually feel it <laughs> to recognize this sort of thing happens, to respect those people who are saying, look, it's not that easy? Why did yeah. it take me to go through realizing it's not that easy to... Uh, believe those people who were telling me it's yeah. not that easy. That's I, I, terrible. I can, I can totally relate to this one because um, for, for years, I've known people that have chronic pain that have had because uh, either injuries, uh, my aunt suffered for many years from fibromyalgia and stuff like that. And of course, you know, when they're people I know, I feel bad for them. But I've also I've no, I've also known some people that I, I I mean they're just acquaintances, and I gotta be honest. Oftentimes I felt like oh they're gonna whine again about this because you know I'll see them and like how you been have you been, and I'm like oh no here goes, I'm gonna have to hear about how much pain it's been and things like this and blah, blah. super annoyed, and then I've had coworkers or people that are at work that are like gone for for a couple of weeks or something on leave because of medical leave because they're in pain or something. And I remember thinking, how bad can it be? Like, just, you can't like take a couple of days. Like, I don't get it. 
Um, well, <laughs> last year, I, I can't believe it took me until I was, you know, this old, but like last year I had, um, I basically, or maybe it was two years ago, actually, I pulled a neck muscle. That's all I did. I was like lifting something and I pulled a, ne- a neck muscle and I ended up being in neck and head pain for weeks. And when it was really bad, which was right the first like actually not the first couple days, but a few days later for like three days, it was unbearable. Like I was sitting there driving myself to the emergency, to like the emergency clinic to see if they could look at it or do something. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to be able to do anything. I can't operate. I can't function. This is terrible. And that's when I started realizing, oh, oh, imagine if this kept going. Right. And like, it never goes away and it just goes in waves and oh my god and it's just like that that realization of the priv- like the lucky privilege that we have when we're healthy and generally you know kind of have our limbs and our things and it's, it's just crazy yeah one of the things that i try to do is remember those people in my life who are suffering from some ongoing pain or physical ailment and ask them about it. They don't have to tell me about it, but to acknowledge it. Yeah. And pretty much everyone that I do this with is is thankful. They're like, ah, oh, well, thanks for asking. Um, it's pretty pretty tough. Because we live in a society that oppresses people with these kinds of problems, even though it's like a third of our society. <laughs> I mean, when you actually start asking uh. around... There, That's there's crazy. so many people suffering from chronic pain or IBS or headaches, migraines, chronic fatigue, these kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, back pain. Back pain. Uh, once I started having back pain, I started looking into all the research on it and stuff. And like lower back pain is like almost inevitable in humans. <laughs> that once I started looking at all the stats. Really? And, yeah. It's just that common because of our physiology. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, there's a lot of different possible reasons. Um, the fact that we age longer or our sedentary lifestyle, blah, blah, blah. I have, I have read about um, how in cultures where they squat a lot and where they're actually like, ironically, working fields and stuff, but like in a squat position, their back ends up being a lot healthier. Yeah. than us sitting all day long. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not the squatting per se. It's the the lack of core muscles. And and this was something that I just never knew. My physical therapist was, and if people out there probably know this, is that the fact that we stand up, the fact that our body doesn't just crumple over is mostly because of our muscles. Right. You know, if you just take a skeleton and hold it up, like it just crumbles over the skeleton. I always thought it's the bones that holds us up, right? (laughs) Like that's what keeps us up. It's like, no, if you just, if it's your core muscles that keep your, your spine in alignment. And if you don't have core muscles, then your back bears too much weight and it'll start to crumble essentially. Um, Heterosexism. So... As a child and teenager, I was overtly heterosexist and homophobic. Um, It was the norm, and I didn't know anyone who wasn't around me, by the way. 
but I participated willingly in that in those conversations and in those bigoted statements using slurs ideas I quickly got over it the very first person I met who who was not overtly or who, the very first non-heterosexual person the very first out non-heterosexual person I met was in early college he was bisexual and as soon as I met him everything just went away <laughs> I just remember <laughs> within a couple seconds I remember just thinking like huh oh well all that stuff I've been believing is completely stupid because <laughs> everything just didn't make any sense in light of meeting this guy you know he, I liked him he was a friend of mine anyway that that makes sense so like I was in a similar boat I think a lot of people in our generation were uh, especially, well, I don't even know if especially, probably just the same, but growing up in Colombia, and I guess with the Catholic Church and stuff, like homosexuality was not okay. Um, and we did know a couple of people, well, we suspected a couple of people, and uh, one of them w- was made fun of a ton, and that was just the way it was. And in the movies and media we consumed throughout the 80s, that was the way it was. Those were punchlines or the funny character, side character, but it wasn't to be taken seriously. It wasn't, uh, and certainly you didn't want to be one of these people. Um, and then I got to high school here in the States, and it still continued. I started hearing rumors towards the end of my high school years that a couple people I knew might be uh, homosexual. Um, and, and that weirded me out. I was like, oh, really? Oh, that's weird. That's weird. That person? Really? Oh, that's weird. Weird, 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 you know? Um, then one, one of the first things that started tipping me over though, was a debate I had in a, in one of my youth groups at my church. And it was, it was not, it was an accident because I was debating, you know, you had to pick a side and I was debating that homosexuality was wrong and stuff like this. But then because I loved debating, surprise, surprise, I decided to see if I could switch to the other side and make a cogent argument. And I switched and I made an argument. I said, well, you know, I mean, because one of the arguments is that it's not natural, but dogs do it. And then everyone burst out laughing, but they thought I was sort of like kidding. Like, what What a ridiculous statement. But I was making a legitimate argument. Like, well, if it's so unnatural, why do dogs do it? And I remember, like, first of all, I was so annoyed that everyone was laughing and not getting my point. I'm like, ugh, are you guys idiots? It's a perfectly legitimate. You don't have a counter. Why are you just laughing? But then I started thinking, wait a minute. Dogs do do it. Like, why is it that it's like not natural or whatever? And then I thought, okay, maybe. And then slowly but surely I started meeting people. And of course, as soon as you start meeting human beings, unless you're a bad person, essentially, uh, you, you, you have to start treating them like humans because they're humans. And then you realize, oh, I see. Okay, my mental models were all effed up. And I started uh, years over years realizing that everything I knew was wrong. Uh, but... You know, even to this day, I have lingering effects of all that. Yeah. Yeah, I always like that story, the, the debate story. Yeah. That, that, where it clicked in your mind. For more, me more recently, when on the podcast or in class, when I provide fictional examples of couples, I almost always provide a hetero couple. Mm. You know, I'll say, okay, when the husband comes home to the wife and the wife says this and that. Which is also a six a cis sex, sexist thing as well potentially. I 
do this in my head because it's easier, right? Because I'm trying to delineate between two different people. And husband and wife come with these distinct names that you can visualize in your mind, right? As when I, instead of person A, person B, which is harder to keep track of, right? So I have been more recently, after writing this list today, (laughs) trying to use more uh, less heteronormative examples, you know, using examples like, well, so when she goes home to her wife or when he goes home to her husband, that kind of thing. Because uh, it's, it's silencing to gay people. It's making them abnormal. It's right, denying right. their existence. It's not acknowledging those configurations. So... Or even just using gender-neutral terms, like, well, when the partner goes home to the partner, <laughs> I mean, it's, it makes it a little <laughs> harder, but it's not impossible, is the thing. And, sure. And uh, so that's another heterosexist, heteronormative act that I've been doing on this podcast for 12 years. You know, I started doing some uh, new thing uh, last year at work because I have to write up interview feedback because I'll, I'll interview people. Um, in my uh, LL surprise spoiling work, and um, when I'm interviewing them, I have to write the feedback, and I realize that I don't know if they are if they like to go by he, she, or, or what they like to go by, and it's and I don't it's not okay to ask in that context because it's it's an interview and stuff like that. So, um, I when I write the feedback, I started using they, and then I got in the habit. And at first it felt a little odd. And then the more I did it, it's just like, it's become natural. So like, I now always just use they. Um, and it, and I, I don't know, I found it freeing for me because it was like, oh yeah, I, I was always assuming those things. <laughs> right. Yeah. I did that today on a YouTube live Q&A. Uh, someone, I think, with a traditionally female name asked about her partner and I just assumed it was a male and actually went, wait, did, did you say he in the question? And, and she hadn't or they hadn't. And so I switched, um, which leads us to cissexist behaviors that I have committed. And this one is pretty shameful to me to admit, which is that I am particularly... Uh, I don't know what to say. I I haven't absorbed, I haven't spent enough time absorbing trans voices. Mm. Uh, as a social justice warrior, I've absorbed a lot, I think, but that's not the point of this conversation. I haven't absorbed enough. I don't feel comfortable with the topic in a way that I should eventually feel or... I you know I should I should absorb enough trans voices meaning listening and talking and getting to know the trans experience in all of its forms non-binary experience so that I feel comfortable talking I I feel totally comfortable talking about black racism and sexism against women and ableism I feel totally mm-hmm. comfortable in that in that space why is it uncomfortable for me to talk about sexism well because i haven't spent the time i yeah. i haven't researched thing and again some people would say like well i don't know where am i supposed to look 
If you want to look, you'll find it. There's probably millions of YouTube videos that just, uh, you know, a, someone who, a trans person who has a YouTube channel that talks about movies. Right. <laughs> uh, this kind of thing. And so I am avoiding it. I, I support uh, the liberation. Uh, absolutely. But that's not enough. You know, just being intellectually supportive is not enough. And I'm not doing my part, and I know better. Another thing that I'm not doing is, so my my organization, my professional organization is AAMFT. It's the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy. And they accredit our program. So they're the highest accreditation of marriage and family therapy programs. And they ask, so... I still do a lot of the data and a lot of the accreditation process, even though I'm not program director anymore. And one of the things that they make us do is they make us get demographics on all, on everyone, on the teachers, the supervisors, and the students. Okay. And one of the things that they ask for is gender. And they mm. have two boxes, male and female. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I've been reporting these data for, well, let's see, since... So for 10 years, I've been, 11 years, I've been reporting these data. And at no point have I pushed back and said, you realize this is binary and way behind the times. Yeah. Um, and is oppressive. And you know better. You sh- I mean, you're, you're a, an association of social justice therapists. Like, what's wrong with you? And it wouldn't take that much to change. You just have to add another code to your database it's not even that complicated so i mean at the very least just another like non-binary male female non-binary but there should be more you know but but i haven't fought back and and that's that's like me not protesting george floyd that's like me just watching from the sideline and saying well someone else will take care of it when i have the power you know i have that power and i didn't do anything and I never did. I plan to now, but um, for years it would sort of nag me in the back of my mind, like, oh, I don't like this reporting. And some students would actually protest the demographic form. They'd be like, they wouldn't answer it. They'd just write in like non-binary. Uh-huh. And I'd be like, oh, well, crap. What am I, I have to put you somewhere because <laughs> WMFT forces me and I'm, you know. My hands are tied. So, I'm that Nazi that just plays along. Yeah. You know, I'm that German who just plays along and plays along with the marginal data. Hey, I'm just following orders here. You yeah, know, that, that's, not, supposed to do? that's not acceptable. It's just not acceptable, particularly since there's almost no consequence to me for speaking out. Uh, right. Nothing bad could happen to me. It's like I'm just being flat out lazy and irresponsible. And so, so by no means is this an exhaustive list. But it is a list that I came up with today. There are other, other there are other isms that we could go into, but for the sake of time, um, and maybe if even for the sake of my self esteem, that's where I'm going to end it today. What's the final word, Berto? Uh, you know, the final word is blind spots are called blind for a reason. Uh, so a, a lot of times, like quite the sad part is that the things we're going over are the things we're aware of. Right. right, exactly. Like the things we don't know we don't know are still there. And that was a lot of these things for many of us, definitely for me, for so much of our lives. And 
Sometimes it takes really harsh things to happen before you get woken up on something, which is too bad. But uh, maybe by doing these things and helping inform each other, you know, maybe that can short circuit the process a little bit. Yeah. Well, everyone out there, I hope that you don't hate me because I admitted these things. (laughs) I mean, it's a legitimate paranoia or fear. I'm sure it's not true but um there's tremendous shame in what i've admitted these aren't just like yeah i'm pointing the, you know I, i'm a human being and i i don't want to i didn't want to admit any of these things i didn't even want to do this episode i came up with this episode in my head in a flash and i quickly was like no no that's that's too personal you're, <laughs> you're just opening yourself up to a world of terrible comments and accusations you're just giving them fuel. People are going to be like, you're being ageist because you're not answering my email or something. And, and I, I didn't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. But then I was like, well, it's all the more reason to do it then. Yeah. At the very least for my own process. Yeah. Um, so please take care of yourself because you deserve it. (laughs) 